The opinions and views you're about to hear in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his department or any other organization that he is a member of. The host does not speak for anybody, only himself. This is the I Am Pit Podcast. Get ready for contact. Back, finally back. I'm back like Bill Cosby. Well, no, no, I'm not back. Not like Bill Cosby. Maybe that was a bad joke to start with. <laughs> oh, but he is free though. I find I feel like I'm free. I know what y'all thinking it's been eleven days, fool. Where you been? Well, I've been busy, like I always say. DP out here working, living life, making moves. But as always, I apologize for my absence. A lot's been going on, as y'all know. So what I got going on now is, you know, I've been working on the book for a minute now. Well, turning into one publisher here locally. She loves it. She they absolutely love it. But I don't know if y'all remember a couple weeks ago, I was talking to you all about how I went to this event here for police officers. And I met this guy, Mr. Adam Davis. Uh, well, Mr. Adam Davis has wrote a few books himself, and he's also written a book with retired Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. I'm sure everybody should, well, in the military and law enforcement world, they are familiar with the book on killing. You know, Mr. Davis has done a book with him as well. So you know, when I met him, I told him that I was, I was writing a book, and I, he let me send him my introduction. He read my introduction, and he loved it, and he told me that I had something special. And, well, he specializes in helping authors take their ideal for their book from beginning to the end. Well, like I said, it's been a seven-year journey for me with Mike. And so, at this point, I'm just kind of ready to get this thing done and over with and get it published by the end of the year. And Mr. Adam Davis has agreed to help me, little old me, Dexter Pitts, with my first book, my memoirs. Help me get it published by the end of the year. So I'm very, very excited to be working with Mr. Adam Davis. I'm hoping to have him here on the podcast. If I can ever find some time in my schedule and squeeze him in here. Look, look, look at me, Mr. I'm Mr. Important. He's just nobody. Well, I make it sound like it. find some time to just squeeze him in here. No, I, mean, I definitely got to have him on. I mean, he's a phenomenal guy. He has a phenomenal story. Mr. Davis, if you're listening. Just, I want to say thank you for reaching out to me and thank you for taking on my project and I'm going to make you proud and I'm, I want to make your business look good and shine as well. Get you some more clientele. But you know, I, I learned something I never knew. I learned the hard way too with, when it comes to writing a book. So, you know, when I decided to write my book, I just started writing and I didn't pay attention to word count or whatever. You know, I was paying attention to the page count on Microsoft so when I got done with my book on Microsoft Word, it was 412 pages or something crazy. And well, in my mind, I thought that 412 pages on Microsoft equaled 412 pages in a book. And so when I sent it off to the first publisher here locally, you know, they was like, it's kind of long. It's double the length of a typical, you know, book or memoir. I'm like, 400 pages is not double the length of a typical book or memoir. That's crazy. And Mr. Davis, when I sh- when I told him how long it was, the word count, it was a 200,000 word count. He said, whoa, 200,000? I was like, yeah. I was like, why does everybody keep saying that? Well, because word count is everything when it comes to writing a book. It's not the page count. 
the word count. That's the word count is the magic. And so when we did the math, my word count of 200,000 words equates a 800 page book. I was like, excuse me? He's like, yeah, it's 800 pages. And now I'll be honest. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I ain't reading 800 pages in a book. And though I dang sure don't expect anyone to read 800 pages of my book. So what I've been doing the last week is going back through my book, taking out and trimming the fat of all the stuff. And man, let me tell you, it has been so hard going back through my book again. The things that were so important to me, I tell people, you get so attached to your own stories. You don't want to let them go. And the details of things, and because you work so hard to remember these things and put them in the book, and then you have to cut them out and separate with them, and it hurts, man. But you have to get the book down. Because like I said, nobody's going to read 800 pages. I'm definitely not. I'm not. A, I tell you, I'm not a reader. I hate reading. But man, so why would I, if I hate reading, expect somebody to read my 800-page book? So I've been working on that, sitting in front of the computer screen for, God, man, it's become a job going back through this book, trying to, what's not important, what's what's pertinent, what can stay, you know. I mean, it hurt that I had to take some of my friends out of the book. Man, so my people down in uh, Arizona from the Border Patrol, the Naco Quattro, Stu Johanny, Lolo, Thomas, love y'all. But I sent them a text yesterday. I kind of <laughs> went with like they did on um <laughs> on the NFL show that's on HBO. Lolo, Thomas, I need you to bring your playbook to the office. You've been cut. Sorry, guys. Stu and Johanny, you made it this first round of cuts. Congratulations. <laughs> Yeah, sucks, you know, having to cut a lot of people out. You know, there's a, a staff sergeant that I served with in the Army. Man, he got shot in the head by a sniper, and I, and I remember going to see him at Walter Reed. I didn't think he was going to make it. And now, to me, that was a very important part of my book, but guess what? He ain't make it either. And I told him, I was like, man, there's a soldier that got shot in the head that I knew that ain't make the book either. So don't feel bad if you get cut from the book. <laughs> but what I do plan on doing is, like I said, I'm not a reader. I'm definitely an audiobook person. I do want to go and eventually do an audiobook. And with the audiobook, I want to put in bonus material. That bonus material is going to be the stories that I loved and didn't want to cut. And I feel like it'll be a little easier for people to stomach with the audiobook that's a little bit longer as opposed to flipping through six, seven, eight hundred pages. So that's what we're working on. And Mr. Davis, he drew up me, he drew me up a, a draft for the cover of the book. Man, it's gorgeous, super sexy. So excited, man. You know, that just, that just motivated me. It's got me reeling and got me ready to go, ready to get this thing done. Hopefully, God willing, this thing is good to go by, by December. So that's where my focus has been at. Like I said, I love doing my podcast, love talking to you all, giving you all my perspective on things going in the world. However, like I said, it's been a lot going on, been kind of busy with the book. Hopefully, we're towards the end of it here. And moving on, like I said, Bill Cosby's free. Man, how crazy is it that after all the things this dude did that he's now walking free? And it's not just the fact that he is free. My thing is, what about the victims? We never think about the victims anymore in this country for some odd reason. What I hate is, if somebody commits a crime against somebody, we automatically and take the side of the criminal 
and we just feel bad for them and oh he didn't mean to give him a second chance and we coddle criminals now we have turned them we have turned criminals into victims of the system however what about the freaking victims man you never hear anything from the victims or about the victims and this is why i say the system does suck and the media sucks case in point here in louisville last year in the jacob neighborhood here in louisville there was a murder this man literally executed this guy and his daughter killed them both in cold blood so he gets arrested he gets put in jail the judge puts a bond on him of a million dollars well guess what the judge decided to lower the bond to three hundred thousand dollars and guess what somebody paid the bond and everybody's like who has three hundred thousand dollars it's not three hundred thousand dollars that you pay you pay ten percent of the bond so it's thirty thousand dollars everybody keeps saying see people don't realize that you're not getting the whole three hundred thousand it's just a percentage, just 10%. So somebody paid the bond, and now this guy that allegedly and has been accused of murdering this man and his daughter, his daughter, three years old. She was a beautiful black little girl, beautiful. He killed them both in cold blood, man. And now he's out on home incarceration. And not only that, it wasn't his first time. In 2015, this same dude, he was accused of shooting somebody else and was released and after he was released he ex he skipped town twice he was on home incarceration and skipped town again he's done this before in the past dude's a flight risk and to the person who paid this guy's bond some hip-hop producer in new york city his name is i believe is nigel telly to mr nigel telly you are garbage I hope that you are not up in New York City walking around wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt. Because you clearly do not care about black lives. You do not care about this little black girl, this black father, or that black family. To pay the bond of this dude that has been accused, like I said, not charged, but accused of killing these two people and taking these two black lives. This is sickening. sickening. And why would the judge lower the bond? Why? Especially when this dude has done it before in the past and you know he's a flight risk. See, this is the problem. Everybody points at the police and that the police are the problem. It is not the police. It is the judges that are the ones making these decisions, letting these killers and criminals back out to reoffend and hurt people further. But like I said, what about the victims, man? What about the victims? Nobody cares about the victims. See, if y'all are going to protest, you need to go and protest at these judges' houses. Yes, you do. Because they are the ones making these decisions. This is ridiculous. And this is why our city's never safe. We keep letting killers out. And how is that fair to the rest of us? Who, why, why do people continue to live and stay here when it's just a revolving door for these people? I mean, heck, I lock people up all the time and they tell me, I'll be out in a few hours. And you know what? I'm not going to argue. I know they will. And you know what that does to cops? Man, we get tired. Like, why am I going to keep locking this dude up over and over? Y'all just going to let him out. At some point in time, these judges have to wake up and realize that what they are doing is hurting us. But it's weird. When it's t election time and it's time to vote, people forget. People put all this aside. 
they forget that they, these judges keep letting these killers out back into our neighborhoods. Do these judges care about black lives? Apparently not, because they keep letting people out that keep killing black lives. So I don't want to hear anybody from Black Lives Matter telling me that black lives matter until y'all go and protest the real source of the problem of what's going on in this city. It's not the police. Never has been the police. Let me tell you something. I guarantee you if it was one of these judges' family members that were killed by one of these thugs that get let out again and again and again and offend and kill people, it'd be a different story. There would be no bond. There would be no lowering of a bond. But because the blood's not on their doorstep, because the blood, you know, it's in the lower income areas of the city, in the, you know, densely populated areas with a higher rate of, with more minorities, it's okay. But if I bled, if that blood was spilling in a high class white neighborhood like that from somebody that constantly reoffends, it'd be a different story. And part of my language, but it's bullshit. And it pisses me off. And I'm out here in the streets every day trying to clean the blood up and trying to help people. And these judges keep letting these guys out. It's unacceptable. So remember when it is time to vote. Do your homework. Educate yourself. And look at the records of these judges and how they are releasing these killers back into our neighborhoods. And, and I'm sure everybody has been keeping up with what has been going on in Cuba. You know, but of course, the media is kind of silent on it. I've not really heard much or seen much from the news media in reference to what is going on in Cuba. That's because I believe that our media here in America, they're Marxist and communists. And, oh, well, well, we don't want people to see that the people of Cuba are trying to get out from under communist Marxist rule. So, of course, they're not really going to report on it much. But what's going on in Cuba is beautiful, man. You know, the people are in the streets protesting, trying to get out from under communism so that they can be in charge of their lives and dictate their lives and where their lives are going and what they want to do. You know, they're marching through the streets carrying an American flag because they want to be free. As their saying goes, they have a saying, Portria v. Vida. I probably just butchered that. My Spanish awful. My bad. But yeah, that means homeland and life. They want to live life in their homeland. They want to be free. So I've, I know a few, couple of Cubans that are here locally, and let me tell you something, man. You would never see people that love and support America more than the people of Cuba because they know what it's like to live under heel of a dictator and communism and how it just crushes you and sniffs your life out. And so they're here, they are here in America, and they love our country. They love this land because they are free and they are in control of their lives. And the government is not oppressing them. But yet, lo and behold, we have people here in America, BLM, Antifa, and all these other or far-left organizations that are cheering for communism and want to usher in Marxist values into our country. That is a problem. You know? There was a protest downtown the other day, and man, it was beautiful. The Cubans came out. They had their flags. But, man, the best part was they, they did it right. They knew how to protest the right way. They came, they asked for permission, got permits, gave us a plan of what they were going to do and how they were going to do it, and there were no problems. It was peaceful. We didn't even need really need to be there because they did things the right way. They protested, let their voices be heard. You know, they told you know, what they were feeling, and at the end of the day, they went home. Not a single ounce of trouble. Now, I stand behind 
that. That's a protest. I told my buddy, I was like, you know what? We could have avoided all this bull crap the last year and a half with BLM and Antifa and all these Marxist, far-left Marxist organizations if they could have just done like the Cubans did. But I know what people, well, protest isn't supposed to be peaceful. Uh, Yes, it is. It's, it's supposed to be inconvenient. No, 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 no. Your protest should not stop me from living my life. Your protest should not stop my freedom of movement. And see, the Cubans did it right. Man, to the people of Cuba, man, I am with y'all and I support you all in this fight. And I want you all to get your freedom. And I want you all to experience liberty as we do here in this country. I wish that there was more I could do, but I know that there's really not a whole lot I can do. Because this is going to be a fight that you all are going to have to undertake on your own. And I hope and I pray that at the end of this thing that you all become free. But we all know freedom comes at a cost. Well, I'm not going to say we all know. Because the way some of these protesters here in this country act, they don't know the cost of freedom. But freedom comes at a very high cost. And it is often paid with them in the shedding of blood. And that is the stark reality of it. And I hate to say it, but there's going to be a lot of bloodshed if this continues. And that's, and of course, you know, the communist government down there, they're going to try to hide it. I saw that the government held a pro-government rally down there and that they, apparently there were people there in support of the government. I'm sure that kind of went like, hey, uh, get your stuff, come downtown. You're going to protest in favor of the government. If you don't, we're going to kill you and your family. And I'm sure that people went down there under threat to their life, livelihood. Because that is what it's like to live in a communist Marxist country that is ruled by a dictator. But people here in America don't have that concept because we don't have those type of problems here. And so since we don't have those type of problems, we create our own problems. And we think that we live in the worst country in the world. When the truth is we don't. And people, Amer Americans don't know because they ain't never been no damn where else. So <laughs> that's that. And man, I'm sure everybody saw what happened downtown last week. You know, crazy stuff never happens at a convenient time when you're a police officer. You know, I've been working most of the day. Man, getting ready to go grab some lunch. Super hungry. I was going to head over to Daddy Rich's and get me some of them delicious chicken wings, some sweet potato fries. But as soon as I started heading that direction, the tones go off and they're calling for more officers downtown because somebody had driven their truck into the jail and lo and behold, it was a guy from Cuba dressed in military fatigues and he had spray painted on the side of his truck, Portilla V Vida, Homeland and Liberty. And I spent the next out couple hours on the street corner baking in the sun, starving to death, dying of thirst, trying to get the scene under control while, you know, the FBI and Homeland Security comes in, tries to figure out what's going on. It ruined my day, but that was not the worst part of my day. The worst part of my day was what happened after the incident was over and we started releasing the scene so everybody could go back to their normal scheduled duties downtown. So as I'm downtown at 6 and Jefferson at the park, taking down the crime scene tape. Now, let me tell y'all, I think I told y'all previously, downtown has been wonderful. It's been quiet. There's been no protesters. There's been nothing. Life has returned to somewhat normalcy in downtown Louisville, and it's great. But as I am taking down the tape, I see a cluster of three people. I was like, oh, 
it's the protesters. And in my mind, I'm like, hey, man, maybe we cool now. You know, things kind of you know, blown over and everybody's going to be all right. Well, so, you know, I go taking down the crime scene tape. And I noticed that one of the protesters, she's a little, little black lady. And the crime scene tape, tape had somehow gotten twisted up in this binder that she was carrying. I was like, whose binder is this? She's like, that's my binder. Get your shit off my shit. Get your shit off my shit, motherfucker. I was like, excuse me? Get your shit off my shit. I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Next thing you know, you know, she takes her binder. I'm turning down the tape. And then they just start in. And one thing I remember the most, another one of the black female protesters looks at me straight in my face as I'm taking down the tape. Why are you the only one taking down the crime scene tape? Well, man, it's kind of part of my job. I don't see nobody else doing it. I'm not worried about anybody else, man. That's right, nigga. Pick that cotton, nigga. Keep picking that cotton, nigga. You know, and <laughs> oh, I, it was just a flashback to everything I have been enduring for the last year as a black cop downtown dealing with these numbskulls and these absolute idiots. You know, and they just started in on me after that, man. And, and I remember one dude, big black light-skinned dude, looks at me, bitch. You know, I'm just like, dude, what's up, man? What do you want? I'm down here working, trying to help people get back to doing, you know, trying to help people get back to work. And you're down here bothering me while I'm taking down crime scene tape. This has nothing to do with Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. This has nothing to do with anything. But you all, miserable in your lives, feel it's best to come down here and harass a working man, a black working man doing his job. And they just started in from there. See, let me tell y'all. These people disgust me. BLM, I don't care who they are. This group of people, they are a waste of life. And I hate to say it, but they are. And I know that's not a Christian thing to say. I know it's not a Christian thing to say. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but guess what? I'm struggling. I ain't officially all the way made it yet. I'm still a human. And these people disgust me. They are scum of the earth people. Imagine if the tables were turned. And somebody said to her, pick that cotton, nigga, how she would react. She would be ready to fight, shoot, and do anything to destroy the person that said that to her, especially if they were white. So it's okay for us as black people to degrade and say such vulgar and vile crap to one another. But if somebody says it to you, it's a problem. These people are hypocrites, and they are only interested in protesting and getting something out of it for themselves. There was nothing to be gained for them being down there. This incident had nothing to do with anything protest related. But yet, some odd reason, they decided to come down and start egging people on, especially me. Pick that cotton, nigga. Really? And so, you know, I go about my way. My buddy Spencer, man, he works with me out in the first division. He looks at me like, you all right, bro? I was like, man, I'm good, dude. I, I said, I'm dead inside. I don't care. You're not going to offend me. You'll annoy me, but you're not going to offend me. And see, their hope is they're going to get under my skin and I'm going to react irrationally and do something and hurt them. And then they're going to try to get their lawsuit and get their money. But see, I've been playing this game too long. I know the game. You're not going to win with me. I mean, you never will. That's why you're still down there trying to protest, stir up crap so you can get paid because you have no life and you're a waste. 
your families are probably ashamed of you. If you were my family member, I'd be ashamed of you. If you were my family member down there doing that, saying, pick that cotton nigga to another black person, I would take you down to courthouse myself and pay for you to have your last name changed. Because I would not want you to be associated with me in any sort of way. Because you are garbage. Absolute garbage. You know, and so once that incident was over, I was on my set of off days the next day. And, and my wife was at work. Yeah, well, she told me, hey, take the kids and use these cultural passes and go take the kids somewhere. So we decided to go to the Farmington Plantation here in Louisville. The Farmington Plantation is a tobacco farm from back in the 18, well, I think 17, 1800s. And of course, back then they had slaves that worked there at the plantation. And all the slaves, you know, picked the tobacco and such. So, you know, me and my kids go to the Farmington Plantation and we're going through the history of the plantation. And, you know, they had the names of the slaves on the wall. The slaves that used to work that work at the plantation. Now, the Farmington Plantation is a beautiful location, centered right in the middle of the city. You know, you would never have guessed it was there. But as I sat with my children, talking to them about, you know, this this plantation and black people being in slavery in America, I started thinking about that incident with the protesters downtown a couple days ago when she was telling me to pick that cotton nigga you know i realized that me being here with my kids teaching them about black people's history in this country and teaching them about slavery in america see this is where it is important to be a parent that is actively involved in shaping your child's you know perception of things because if it wasn't me in there with my children talking about slavery in America and the evils of slavery, my children would be under the impression that this is how things still are in this country and that America is still an evil, racist place and black people are not welcome here. But that's where I step in as a father to teach my kids, to rear them and show them that, hey, back in the day, America was not a good place for black people. We were enslaved and forced to work for over 400 years. However, the beauty of America, children, is that we have progressed to the point to where that is no longer the case. And now black people in this country are free and we are able to live our lives however we want. We are able to choose what direction our lives go and we don't have to work for anybody. We're not slaves. We are free. And see... That is the perception I'm trying to teach my children. And that is why I am glad that I am the one to raise my children, to show them the beauty of our country and that your skin color is not going to hold you back. Slavery was a long time ago. Yes, there are still there are still residue from slavery that exists in this country, but it is not enough to keep you back and hold you back from doing anything great. Look at me and look at your mother. See, that's what we're missing in this country. We're letting the media and these far left groups teach our children that America is a horrible, evil place. That is why you see like the, the, more, the idiots downtown telling me to pick that cotton. You know, I don't know anything about that lady that told me that. But what if she's a school teacher? Hmm? What if she works in some sort of capacity to influence your children? 
See, that's why you have to build your children up on your own. You have to instill your core values, your belief system into your children at an early age while their mind is still malleable. Because if you don't, it is so easy to have your kids' minds, your kids' minds snatched from, from them and have all these false ideals and ideations put into their mind that make them believe that America is horrible. And not only that, I'm teaching my children to be people of character. I'm not raising my kids to be good black children. I'm not raising my kids to be strong black adults. I'm raising my kids to be good people, period. Yes, their skin is black. My skin is black. But we do not derive who we are from the color of our skin. The color of our skin is only a small part of our story. It is the character of the person behind the skin that truly matters in this life. And that is what I'm teaching my children. And that is why it's so important that in the early years of your children's lives that you instill those good core values. If not, you will grow up and you will realize that your kids no longer belong to you and that your kids despise not only you, but the country that they live in. And we cannot afford that. We are already at a critical point, critical tipping point in this country with so many kids that seem to hate America because this is the garbage that is being pushed by the media and even worse, the schools with bullcrap like critical race theory. That is why I have been taking more time out of my life to try to be around my kids, to teach them the right way and the right things. I'm teaching them about color, but I'm teaching them more about character than anything. Color has no bearing on anything. But it, nowadays in our country, it seems to be everything. And that is not what I want. That's not what Martin Luther King Jr. wanted. To be honest, that's not what the older generation of black folks wanted. But now we got the woke militia out here telling you that you're a victim because you're black. But we also got the woke militia out here telling me to pick that cotton nigga. You know, it doesn't take much to see that she's not a person of character and that she's just an absolute garbage human being. And I will not allow my kids to be overtaken by such people you know but as the wokeness flu continues to spread across our country i had hopes because things are going so well here in louisville and downtown i had hopes that the nfl was going to be back to normal and that i was going to be able to watch some football on sundays but apparently that is not going to happen i saw an article the other day that said nfl to play black national anthem before 2021 games increased social justice messaging and so I guess I will no longer be watching the NFL again. And at this point, I don't even think it's worth it for me to just wait around for the NFL to come to its senses and to drop this nonsense, man. Why? Why? People do not care about social justice, dude. We just want to watch football. We want to be entertained. If I want to learn about social justice, I will turn on C-SPAN Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, and all the other garbage news media. Can we please get this foolishness out of football? And then they're also going down the route with the NFL is queer and transgender. I'm like, dude, nobody cares. Play your game. Entertain me. Score. Go to the Super Bowl. Win. And then after you win, say, what are you going to do now that you won the Super Bowl? I'm going to Disneyland. Can we get all of this garbage out of sports, man? The wokeness has completely taken away from sports and ruined one of America's favorite best games. 
Nobody wants to hear this crap. Nobody cares. But because all of this, all of these organizations are owned by the far left, that's super woke. It is just torturing the rest of us. But you know what? That's fine with me. I got plenty of other things to do in my life besides sit and watch football on Sundays. I wish I could, but guess what? I'm not going to lose sleep over it, man. I'm not. I refuse to. You know, I'm, I'm not a big NBA fan either, you know. I just, I've never been big in the basketball. But the other night, I did sit down with my kids, and we watched the new Space Jam movie with LeBron James. And I know what y'all are thinking. Dex, why would you dare watch that movie with LeBron James in it after all the things he said against police and Black Lives Matter and being being woke? This is why I did it, people. I did it for my children. See, my kids are innocent in all this mess. My kids don't know none of this stuff is going on. As I was sitting there watching a the movie, I was listening. And if I heard something sideways, I'd be like, hey, no, no, no. We, that's, that's not what we do. That's, that's not it, kids, okay? You know, there was a couple black references in there. You know, I stepped in it, you know, stepped in to correct it. But the thing for me is, I don't want to take away, I don't want my, my crusade for justice, for equality, and my crusade for ending wokeness in this country rub off on my children and take away the magic of their childhood they don't know this stuff man they don't know what's going on they just want to see you know bugs bunny play you know basketball and why should i ruin that for them so you know i have to put aside my beliefs and what i think and how i personally feel about lebron james so that i can be a father and let my kids be children i'm gonna say personally i thought the movie was awful and lebron james is a horrible actor so, you know, I didn't really care for it too much, but my children loved it. And to me, that meant the world to me that they enjoyed it. And I was able to sit with them and watch the movie. So it was a good family time, regardless. See, we have to be able to separate ourselves from the chaos. And we have to be able to separate ourselves so that we can enjoy life. Not everything has to become political. Not everything has to be a battle. Sometimes you just got to sit back and enjoy life. And that's what I've been trying to do a little bit more often these days. And like I said, just those moments where I get to sit with my kids and I get to pour into them and kind of shape their future and shape their lives and perspective. That's what I do as a father, because I realize if I don't, my kids are going to be like the guy I ran into at Qdoba the other day. I keep running into all these extreme people for some odd reason, but that's that's just my life. I don't know. Crazy people gravitate towards me. You know, it's not enough. I just had the lady who who was, you know, pick that cotton nigga. Man, I go to Qdoba the other day on Shelby Real Road while I'm working because I don't go to the Qdoba on Bargetown Road because during the protest, they were not fond of police. Guess what? I'm going to take my money elsewhere. So, man, I go to Qdoba the other day, and there's a young black dude behind the counter. He's jamming out to Return of the Mac. And, man, me, he and I just start jamming out together. Return of the Mac, oh, oh. Turn of the man. Man, he and I are just vibing as he's making my food for me. Man, we having a good time. We get to the end. I pay for my food. And this dude looks at me and says, hey, you're not bad for a black officer. Hey, but fuck them other white officers, though. I can't fuck with them. I was like, yo, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. What? Man, we just had the best time in the world. I don't know you. You don't know me. But, bro, we over here vibing to Return of the Mac having a good time, and then he comes with this foolishness, like, why? Why? Like, 
what brought this about? There's not a single white officer in here. I'm just in here to get some lunch. And man, uh, uh, why? Why? And so me, of course, I don't want to sit and argue with people. I don't. But I'm not going to let you trample on my fellow white officers that have been protecting the the black community forever. So me, I try to reason with this dude and get, you know, try to speak a little knowledge into him. Like, hey, man, you can't judge all white officers because of one single bad white officer. Just like you can't judge me off of one bad, uh, one bad black cop. But man, as soon as these, this dude start opening his mouth again, I just realized I'm not going to change this guy's perspective. I'm not going to change his mind. And I'm not going to sit here and argue with this guy. But you know, he and I were cool because of the way I carried myself and presented myself and I talked to him and treated him like a human. But how skewed, skewed is his mind that he believes that all white officers are evil? But I'm cool because I mean, he and I were vibing to return to the Mac. He don't know me. If that's the only thing that he has to go off of me to, t- to say that I'm a cool black officer, it's not enough. It'll never be enough, man. And that is where we are in this country. And that is why I will say again, people, spend time with your children. Teach your children. Install good core values in your children. Because if you don't, there will be grown people working at Qdoba vibing to return to the Mac that hate white police officers. Now, I don't want to say that this person is a garbage person. I don't know him that well. But the thing that what he said was garbage that came from his mouth. I don't know what this young black guy has been through. I don't know where he's going. But I can only hope that maybe my interaction with him that was somewhat positive will spin and grow. And he will learn to see white police officers as good individuals and not just make a monolith out of all white cops. That's my only hope, man. And I say, we don't have much in this life to go off of sometimes. And the pull of the media is so strong in these far-left groups. It's rough, man. It's really rough. But we have to stay in the fight. And especially those in law enforcement and those that love America, man, stay in the fight. The far-left in this country only wins when we stop fighting. And when I say fight, I'm not saying pick up your weapons and go downtown and start fighting and killing people. No, 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 no. You fight back against this craziness with logic. You fight back against this craziness by being decent, good human beings. That's how we win in the end. I say we're not, I don't think we're at that point yet where it's time to start spilling blood. I don't ever want this country to get to that point. So I've been to war, it's ugly. I don't I don't want that. But what I do want, I do want a little bit of common sense and logic to come back to this country. It's starting to show some snipp- snippets of it here and there, but we still have a long way to go. It ain't over yet, ladies and gentlemen. But once again, this has been the Iron Pitch Podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. You can listen to the Iron Pitch Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. If you all could, please go to the Apple page, rate and review the show, and leave a comment, please. Other than that, thank you all for tuning in. And remember, be a decent person, man. And raise your children. Install good values in them, please. We got enough far-left crazies and far-right crazies going around here. We need some people that can think for themselves critically and think in the middle and not be afraid to stand out. 
All right. Y'all have a good one. Take it easy.